energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Celtics win Monday to you and yours. I hope everybody had a great Mother's Day, but I hope everybody had a great Celtics Game 7 Sunday. I know that I did. We go up until 6:10 here on DEV, and then we bring you Red Sox baseball, my least favorite series of the year, Red Sox and Mariners. One, I hate having to go against the listeners. Two, I hate having to go against the Red Sox. And three, I hate the way, way the Mariners play at Fenway. 5-15 and 15 in their last 20 games at Fenway Park. They're bound to get swept. I'm bound to be angry. So, look, if you're upset the Red Sox got swept by the Cardinals, don't worry. You're going to end up 3-3 three and three over the next six because I don't see any way the Mariners don't get swept in this series. That's just what they do at Fenway. They got swept at Fenway last year in four games. I was there for a walk-off Franchi Cordero Grand Slam with my buddy Steve from Faston on the text line. We went together and... All of Fenway drank my tears. So it just is what it is. This is what's going to happen. The Mariners are going to get swept. I'm going to be grumpy, but you'll all be happy. And then on Thursday, I'll come back and talk about a Red Sox team that's hopefully not in last place anymore. And it'll end up okay, but I hate this series. I hate I hate my Mariners getting pummeled. They always get pummeled by the Red Sox. I hate going against the listeners. I hate having to root against guys on the Red Sox that I really like. And I hate being grumpy about my baseball team. That's where we're at. That's probably what's going to happen. I've come to accept it. The Mar- And here's the thing, too. The Mariners have the distinct pitching advantage, right? Like Pavetta's pitching tomorrow, Houck's pitching, Bayo's pitching. These are the three you want to see if you're the Mariners. The Mariners have Luis Castillo, one of the best pitchers in baseball, going tomorrow. Kirby's one of the best young pitchers in baseball. He's going today. Mariners have the distinct advantage. So I'll be even more frustrated when they lose all three. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. We are uh, presented to you by Fecto Homes. Remember, we are presented to you by Fecto Homes. If you're watching on the internet stream, give me a thumbs up. Let me know the audio is working. I now get paranoid every day. After last week when someone told me, Brady, we can see your lips moving, but we can't hear you. Now I'm verifying every day that the uh, audio is working. So if you're watching us on Facebook Live or something, give us a little comment and let us know. Again, brought to you by Fecto Homes, 802-585-3026 is the text line. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. There's no other way to say it. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. There's no other way to say it. Just a inspirational performance from Jason Tatum. There is no other way to say it. It was amazing. It was historic. It was epic. It was inspirational. The only thing really to be talking about today, as far as I'm concerned, is that Jason Tatum continues now to answer the questions. 
right? And I will admit it. I know he hasn't answered the ultimate question. Can you win the big one? Maybe that's coming. But Jason Tatum continues to answer the questions, and he's answering the biggest questions that I have had. I said my one concern about Jason Tatum is that he lacks a killer instinct. I had said that Jalen Brown was the playoff alpha this year for the Celtics. I had said that I want Brown with the ball in his hands with the game on the line. I had wondered if Tatum had that laser-like intensity. Well, yesterday he had all of it, and he showed us all something. Game on the line, he wants the ball. Game on the line in the playoffs, he wants the ball. Capable of showing up, capable of showing out, capable of putting a bad performance behind him, capable of getting to the bucket, capable of shooting over the top of people. Whatever he wanted yesterday, he got whatever he wanted to do, he did. And as a result, the Celtics are back to the Eastern Conference Finals for the third time in four years, for the fourth time in seven years. Yesterday was historic. I mean, look at what Tatum did. Most points ever without a turnover in a playoff game. He's now got a 50-point game in the regular season, in a play-in game. He's got him in the All-Star game, in a playoff game. He's got 50 points in a game seven. It doesn't matter. Jason Tatum has showed up and showed out. Whatever he most point ever, most points ever for a Celtic in game seven. Most points ever for an NBA player in a game seven. The questions that I had, the doubters that I heard along with me, Jason Tatum answered them and silenced them yesterday was incredible. He and, and here's what I love is that Jason Tatum right from the rip made a concerted effort to get to the bucket and to control things. So often when guys are really good, they'll think they can hit whatever shot, right? And they'll settle. Hey, I can get three from back here. I can get this shot. I can cross it over, fancy dribble, boom, three, I'm good. Doesn't always go in that way. Jason Tatum said yesterday, no, I'm going to start this game by sending a message. Went to the bucket for a dunk, got to the foul line. Jason Tatum took 14 free throws yesterday. I'm sure the stat is out there and I could easily find it, but I don't have it in front of me. I don't know when the last time Jason Tatum took 14 free throws was. 14 free throws, hits six threes. He hit threes off the dribble. He hit threes off the screen and roll. He hit threes in front of Embiid. He hit threes when they didn't switch. He hit threes when they did stretch, when they switch, when they went over the screen, when they went under the screen. He got to the bucket. Didn't matter. Tatum was awesome. And there is nothing that you can say other than that. He was awesome. The key for Tatum now that we've seen this, the challenge for Tatum, the one challenge that's left is can you have that mentality all the time? He showed me he's got the killer instinct. The thing I wondered if he lacked, he's got it. Now the question is, is how does he channel that all the time? He doesn't need to score 51 all the time, but mentally, his mentality has got to be there all the time. That, that's the question. I know, every, can he win the big one? Can he win the title? We're going to find that out. But if he, can, if he can have the mentality like he had yesterday all the time, then he will win the title. That is the biggest thing to me. Kobe Bryant was Jason Tatum's biggest biggest idol okay he idolized Kobe Bryant we talk about the Mamba mentality the Mamba mentality is not just getting 50 
The Mamba mentality is showing up relentlessly in a pursuit of greatness every day. Jason Tatum has times where he'll go in and out. He has times where he'll lose focus or where he'll lose aggression. He showed us that he's got it in him. Now you've got to bring it every single day. And if he does that, this team is going to win the Eastern Conference Finals and this team is going to win the NBA championship because nobody in the league can beat the Celtics when they are getting that focused version of Jason Tatum. Again, he's not going to score 50 every night. But if he gets 30 and he's efficient and he's got that look in his face, nobody beats them. Because with Tatum and Brown and Horford and Williams and White and Brogdon, there's too many options and smart. And if this team has that level of focus offensively, defensively, and from Tatum, nobody beats them. An aging LeBron and a brittle Anthony Davis doesn't beat them. Jimmy Butler and the Butlerettes doesn't beat them. And as good as Denver is, I trust the Celtics to be able to beat Denver four times out of seven games if they get that version of Tatum mentally. It's that simple to me. Tatum answered all the questions to me about his attitude, about his aggression, about his physicality. Now bring it all the time. If you do that, you're going to win the title. Look, I think I think the Celtics are going to roll Miami. And I know it went seven last year, but I don't think it's going seven this year. I know Miami's good. I have respect for them. I love how Butler plays. Butler has the attitude that I want Tatum to have. He has the Mamba mentality that I want Tatum to have. He does. He's he's the guy. But I just don't think this team is talented enough. Oladipo's out. Lowry is, you know, kind of on one leg. Tyler Hero's out. I just don't trust that this Jimmy Butler team can go and do it again. I think the Celtics are going to win in five games. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be reactionary. I just think the Celtics unlocked something yesterday and in the fourth quarter of game six that now they can repeat, they can channel, they can bottle, and they can use. The defensive, I don't think the Celtics held a single opponent under 100 points all regular season. They held the Sixers under 90 in each of the last two games. Defensively, they unlocked something. Intensity-wise, they unlocked something. They've unlocked it at home. They've unlocked it on the road. We've seen it from Tatum. We've seen it from Brown. I think the Celtics are going to roll. 802-585-3026. Texter says... Tatum answered all the critics, including me. I was a crazed UNC fan. He was the only Duke player I ever enjoyed, and now he's arrived. He was as big time as it gets. Good stuff. Really good stuff. I I love watching that version of Tatum. Again, not just about the performance, about the mentality, about that Mamba in mentality. I just I, – I, that Tatum, that those Celtics can't be beat. Not by this group of four. And again, I've said it before, it's never going to get easier than it is for the Celtics from this point forward. An eight-seed Miami banged up. And then either LeBron and the Lakers, who are good, I do not think they're great. And then Denver, who I think is great, but I think they have enough athleticism to take advantage of Jokic 
and company down the line. Right? I think they can I'm not saying they're they're never gonna shut down Jokic, but I think they can do enough offensively to make life tough for him and for Denver. Peter and Williston says uh, agreed Celtics in five, maybe six against Miami. Joe says Celtics looked like a championship caliber team yesterday, dominating performance by Tatum. I said after the Bucks lost to the Heat, it would be the Heat Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's go Celtics. Fourth time in seven years. That is amazing. I know that our society is all about championships. I know that our society is all about you know, you have to win the big one. I, I totally get that, and I, and I am a part of that. But it's a pretty epic run when you look at what the Celtics have done here. In the seven years that I've lived here now, four Eastern Conference championships, four Eastern Conference championship appearances under three different head coaches with a group of different stars here, right? They've gone to the Eastern Conference Finals with Isaiah Thomas. They've gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals with Kyrie Irving. They've gotten there with the Tatum and Brown-led group now twice. Pretty amazing. Brad Stevens, Ime Udoka, Joe Mazzulla. This, this is the time. This is absolutely the time. And after the game, Jason Tatum was showering love on the Boston crowd, and the crowd was loving him right back. And, you know, I can't, you know, express it enough, um, the the – genuine love that you know I kind of feel from the crowd um, you know whether it's pregame during the game at the free throw line um, you know I've been here my whole career right you know I feel you know I you know feel that they embrace me um, you know almost as one of their own and uh, you know that means a lot and uh, you know I, I love being here I love getting to put on this uniform I love getting the play big games, put on big performances in, in, in front of them. Look, when everybody, when Tatum's playing like that, it's easy, right, to have a love affair with the crowd and the crowd to love you right back. But either way, it, it it's pretty cool, right? And we talked about Tatum last year or last week getting the Supermax deal, being eligible for $318 million. He's getting it. He's getting offered it, and he's going to accept it. Jalen Brown is the one to worry about in any of this. Jason Tatum is going to be a Celtic for a very long time. When he's playing like that, the crowd loves him. He loves them. He knows he's the man. They know he's the man. He's not going anywhere else, and neither are the Celtics. They are going to the NBA Finals. It's just a question of how difficult they choose to make it for themselves. Talent-wise, they have the ability to get rid of Miami in five. Peter says maybe it'll be six. I hope not. I think they got a chance to do this in five. I think the Celtics are going to win the first two. In Boston, I think they'll lose game three in Miami. I think they'll win game four in Miami. I think they'll win game five in Boston. They'll end it. The Heat Cinderella run has been great. It's been the first time that I can ever remember an NCAA tournament style feel to the NBA playoffs. So that's really cool. And I applaud what they've done. But it ends here. Because I think the Celtics unlock something that they can channel and they can bring to this round and hopefully to an end to an NBA title. Tatum unlocked it personally. The team unlocked it defensively. Joe Mazzulla might have unlocked it in himself to trust his adjustments and go do something different and start people differently in different lineups and different combinations. I think everybody found something out about themselves in the fourth quarter of Game 6 and in Game 7 
And the Celtics, I think, are going to ride the wave. Uh, Texter says, how about Horford playing great D? That's Will and Plattsburgh. Absolutely. Kudos to Joe Missoula for starting both Horford and Robert Williams. Kudos to Horford for finding a way to, to impact the series. That's what he said. He said, look, I wasn't good offensively. We know that. He had six points yesterday. He didn't need to score a lot yesterday, but he had zero in game five. He's like, I, I needed to do something to help. And he did. Joel Embiid had 15 points yesterday. The NBA MVP had 15 points. It's not all Al Horford, but Al Horford did his job. A couple years ago, he was known as the Embiid stopper when Embiid was kind of, you know, three, four years ago when Horford was kind of the first time around, uh, go around Al Horford with the max contract with the Celtics. He hasn't been that guy recently, hasn't needed to be. He was yesterday. And I think the Celtics are going to find a way, again, to ride the momentum to the Eastern Conference Championship and an NBA championship at this point. Red Sox had a really tough weekend against the St. Louis Cardinals. ESPN had a really tough night last night. They owe Tristan Casas an apology, and I hope they give it to him. I'll tell you why. That's next on DEV. The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. The Red Sox were on Sunday Night Baseball on Sunday, right? They were taken on the St. Louis Cardinals and they ultimately lost the game by a score of nine to one. But the big story for me is that ESPN owes Red Sox first baseman Tristan Casas an apology. So Casas was mic'd up and I believe it was the top of the second inning that he wore the microphone for ESPN. And you see this all the time, right? ESPN will have one player on per game and they'll conduct a live interview with them during the game, right? It's been Kyle Schwarber, it's been Mookie Betts, it's been Martin Maldonado. On Sunday, it was Tristan Casas. And Sunday was also Mother's Day, right? We know this. And ESPN, I thought, did a really good job of incorporating Mother's Day into the broadcast. Before the game, pregame, there was the crew talking with Alex Cora. They brought about uh, a video chat with Cora and his mom, which was really, really cool. Cora was completely surprised by it. On the Cardinal side of things, Lars, uh, Lars Newtbar's mother appeared, and he almost cried at seeing his mother on the video chat. And that was that was awesome. Those were powerful moments, and they were a lot of fun. Juxtapose that to what happened when Casas was on the microphone, on the mic'd up segment. They asked him, Carl Ravitch asked Casas what Mother's Day means to him. Well, Casas' mother passed away a few years ago. It was completely out of line. It was completely out of bounds. It was in complete poor taste. Now, and, and I, I can't even say that Carl Ravitch was unprepared and just didn't know. He knew. He asked the question, hey, your mother died when you were younger. What does Mother's Day mean to you? He knew what he was asking. It was completely inappropriate. It was completely insensitive. It was completely in poor taste. Now, kudos to Casas for, for handling it well. I'm going to play it for you in a second, but just because Casas handled it well does not excuse ESPN's 
poor judgment in asking this question. Here was Carl Ravich, Carl Ravich, excuse me, to Tristan Casas on Sunday Night Baseball. 3-0 to Gorman. You know, we had Alex Cora on. I know your mom passed away when you were young. What does Mother's Day mean to you and, and your brother? Yeah, the, uh, you know, what happened was unfortunate to me, but I have so many mother figures in my life. Um, whether they have my last name or whether they don't, um, I've had so much support from everybody, uh, you know, around my in, in and around my circle yes. that I, I don't even feel like I missed out on anything. You know, I know she's watching me every day. I know she's, uh, you know, smiling, proud of me. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've been all right. That's a great answer from Casas. It's hard to believe that's a guy who's, bare, you know, just old enough to have been in the major leagues now for not even half a season. Incredibly mature, incredibly well handled, but again, it does not excuse the question. There's a time and a place for that question. And Mother's Day is a good time and place for that question. However, not during the game live. If if you want to ask him that one-on-one -on -one at the dugout before the game, okay. If you want to ask him that post-game at a press conference, then okay. At least there you've given him a chance to answer the question one-on-one -on -one and you've given him a chance to be with his own potential emotions. Asking him live on the air is not an opportunity. He's not afforded that opportunity. What if Tristan Casas had gotten emotional? What if he had gotten sad? What if he had gotten angry? He would have had every right to do both, but he was not in a position to be able to control his emotions being live like that or to have control over them in a live segment. Inappropriate question, inappropriate timing. Also, it looks wor even worse somehow because the question was asked, the, the, the count was 3-0 to Nolan Gorman. Casas gets asked the question, Gorman walks, and now Casas is answering this deeply personal question as Gorman's trotting down the first baseline and now he's getting to first, and he's dealing with his first base coach and handing the batting gloves, et cetera. And then Casas has to step on the bag, and now he's answering this question as Gorman is right there. This isn't like he's at the cutout by himself. He's on the base with the first base coach and Gorman there answering this question. I hated everything about this. I hope ESPN, I hope Carl Ravitch, I hope that they issue him an apology because he deserves it. It's poor taste. It's insensitive. And Costas is a guy who's really, really young. I'm sure Mother's Day is really, really hard for someone who has lost their mom. And he shouldn't be forced to relive that. He's already seeing reminders of it all over the ballpark with the pink bats, with the pink gear. He's already seeing reminders of it. And you put him in a position to, to answer the question on national television? I hate that. And I like Carl Ravitch a lot. But I hate that question. And... I really can't believe that he asked that. If you notice, he stopped his question short. It's almost like maybe he, and I saw this from someone else. It's not an, an original thought by me. It's almost like maybe he knew he was headed for a bad road, but just couldn't stop it. It was a bad question. Kudos to Costas for handling it correctly. I saw a lot of other people just kind of in general bagging on the idea of the live in-game interviews. I've talked to Buster only about this. I am not a huge fan of the live in-game interview for a couple of different reasons. One, these games matter. I like the idea of my players being able to focus on the game rather than focus on the 
broadcast team. Two, I don't think these interviews give us a whole lot. They don't give us a whole lot of strategy. And the questions asked aren't a whole lot of fun. So I don't find them that informational and I don't find them that entertaining. The Little League Classic, when they had the guys mic'd up and the Red Sox played there last year against Baltimore, that I like, right? You're appealing to kids. Kids are watching. You're asking about their favorite cartoons and their favorite subject in school. That I'm on board with. Grow the game. But on these regular Sunday Night Baseball segments, I'm not a huge fan of this. I'd rather see ESPN or baseball do what the NFL does. Have a player mic'd up. Let them play the game. Let them do what they're going to do. And then let the production team in the seventh inning give us kind of the best of. We see this in the NFL all the time, right? The quarterback is mic'd up. Patrick Mahomes is mic'd up. But we're not asking Patrick Mahomes direct questions while he's in the in the huddle. Patrick Mahomes talks to his receiver and is at the line of scrimmage and makes a check down and, or makes a check at the line, changes a call, goes over, talks to his coordinator, talks to Andy Reid, comes back to the sideline, talks with, with his receivers, talks to the trainer, whatever. And then by the middle of the third quarter, you've got enough audio there to play it back and say, hey, Mahomes has been wearing a microphone. Here's what it sounded like. I would rather do that then force us into a distracting, awkward, and I don't think that productive in-game interview. You're not growing the game for the kids asking Tristan Casas about his passed away mother. You're not giving the non-kids any groundbreaking information. It seems unnecessary to me. You want to you want to mic up the pitcher at the All-Star game? Fine. You want to mic up the center fielder at the All-Star game? Fine. You can have some more fun there. But I don't think what happened to Tristan Casas yesterday was was real fun at all. And I hope that he gets a formal apology. Peter and Williston says Ravage was out of line. Too crazy of an in-game question. Casas showed incredible poise. I completely agree. Tristan Casas handled it great, brilliantly. There's a, That's a master class in how to handle an awkward question, an inappropriate question. He just never should have – he shouldn't have had to be the one to be mature. It should have been the guy who I've been watching for 30 years at ESPN. Again, I like Carl Ravitch a lot. I did not like that. Red Sox are getting ready for the Mariners coming up at 610. We'll have the lineups for you. I'll tell you what you need to know about this matchup, and I'll give you some of my predictions for it. That's next here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. In with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. 6.05 right now on WDEV. Brady Farkas Show ends in five minutes, and we bring you over to Red Sox baseball. Text from uh, the text line, if you're the Sixers, do you bring back Doc Rivers? I would say you probably don't, but at the same time, I have a hard time pinning all this on Doc Rivers. I, I do not follow Doc Rivers that carefully, okay? So I am not the person to ask about if this is Doc Rivers' fault, right? He was in Boston. I understand a lot of people thought he could have won multiple titles in Boston. They go to, to the Clippers, and they choked away a couple of things there. Now Philly, I get the narrative about Doc Rivers. I can't tell you explicitly that he's the reason that these teams all fold, right? I look at the teams in in L.A., and I'm like, well, you had Blake Griffin and, and, and Chris Paul. You sh- the players should be able to win games, right? They didn't. Joel and B. James Harden, like he didn't acquire James Harden. I think James Harden is not as good as he used to be. 
So I don't think that's a Doc Rivers problem. But I think for optics and just for the sake of change, I think you probably have to get rid of him. I think it's probably time. But I don't think that it's necessarily his fault for sure. Red Sox Mariners three and a half minutes from now. Let me tell you what you're watching with the Mariners. Let me tell you why I think the Red Sox are going to have a good series in here. I joked about the Mariners getting swept. I do think the Red Sox will win this series, though, and here is why. The Mariners are not a good offensive team. They're at the bottom of most offensive metrics. Batting average, runs scored, middle of the pack in home runs. They, they're at the top of the league in strikeouts. They strike out a ton. They don't walk very much. So they are not going to put together dominant offensive performances. If the Red Sox pitchers just throw strikes, they should have success. If the if Tanner Howe comes out and walks five guys today, there's a chance that the, that you can go walk, walk, three-run home. That is true. The Mariners can do that. But if Tanner Howe just puts the ball over the plate, they're going to swing and miss. They're going to beat it into the ground, and they're not going to put together six consecutive singles to, to put up a bunch of runs. They are looking for you to walk the ballpark and for them to hit a gap shot to clear the bases. They do not score by death by a thousand paper cuts. They look for the homer, they swing for the homer, and they swing and miss a lot. So even though this is the weaker part of the Red Sox rotation, how Pavetta Bayo. If you put the ball over the plate, they're going to get themselves out. I am fully convinced of that. Two, the Mariners' pitching staff, starting-wise, is extremely good. George Kirby is going to pitch tonight. I think he's got two walks on the season. He has phenomenal control. But the Red Sox do not strike out very much. So I think, well, I think Kirby will do well today, I could see him being out after five or six. And then you get to the bullpen where there's questions, right? Andres Munoz is out. They're relying on a lot of, like, minor league invitation guys that have been good but could go kaput any second now. So if George Kirby gets a high pitch count and is out after five, five and a third, six, Red Sox get to a bullpen that has a lot of questions. If they keep this close, drive up pitch count, don't strike out a lot, which are hallmarks for them, they got a great chance to win this game tonight. they got a great chance to win this series. I think these teams are both. I think the Red Sox are a little better than average. I think the Mariners are average, as evidenced by their 20-20 record. Red Sox can win this game, though, because they can just be a nuisance at the plate. Starting lineup, J.P. Crawford leads off at shortstop. Ty France is at first. Julio Rodriguez is in center. Jared Kelnick's in left. A. Eugenio Suarez is slumping. He's at third. Cal Raleigh, remember the Vermont ties, his father Todd is the catcher. Tiasca Hernandez is the right fielder. Taylor Trammell, the DH, and Colton Wong is at second. For the Sox, Jaron Duran leads off today. He's in center. Alex Verdugo in right. Justin Turner, the DH. Rafi Devers at third. Casas at first. Rymel Tapia in left. Pablo Reyes at short. And Manuel Valdez at second. Connor Wong, the catcher. No Yoshida today. No Kike Hernandez today. Yoshida just gets a day off. Kike dealing with a hamstring issue. That's why Duran is in the leadoff spot. I'll say it, go Mariners. I'm not confident it's going to happen. I'll see you tomorrow, 530 to 610 again. Go download the podcast on DEV.